As you're being seated, take your Bibles. And if you've been attending over the last several months, you probably can take your Bible and hold it out like that, and it falls open to Ecclesiastes. And so go to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. While you're turning there, let's put our thoughts back a few years to a movie that, I, if I remember right, garnered the lead actor with an Academy Award. Tom Hanks played a guy in the movie Castaway. I'm so boring. And um, the end of that movie is especially important for us on days like this. I don't know if you remember much of the movie, and I'm not going to take the time to fill in all of the blanks with it, but through a series of events at the beginning where he's in a plane crash and he's marooned on a deserted island um, for a long period of time, everything in his life changes. And he's able to get back to civilization through a long series of events, and when he comes back to civilization, he realizes that not only has the world changed, but his world has changed, and he has changed as well. And the final scene of that movie, after he has delivered a package that was one of the two things that just kept him going through that whole ordeal, he finds himself on one of those all-too-common deserted roads up in the panhandle of Texas. And the, sh- the shot shows him as he pulls up to this intersection The road continues forward, it continues backward, and it goes to either side, and it's like as far as you can see in any direction, there's just nothing. And the end of the movie is him trying to decide what next. Where do I go next? That's a a pretty good picture of life for us. And for our graduates that we recognize today, but I don't want to limit my comments to just them, Especially for them, though, today, this is one of those crossroads. And you face decisions at this point to say, okay, where do I go from here? But the reality is that you and I face decisions like that also, even though we're not graduating this week. And tomorrow morning, you're going to wake up and you're going to be at a crossroads in your life and you're going to have decisions to make and you have to decide, where do I go from here? And so I want to come back with one final visit to the preacher of Ecclesiastes and let's see what he has to say to us for these crossroads in our lives. When we find it time to make a decision, what can we use to help guide our decision making so that we don't just plod through life from one crossroads to another? In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, now we're going to get to verse 9 in just a few minutes uh, and uh, probably not much beyond verse 9 today, but uh, let me start with the basic principle And let's wear this, all right? Understand, this sermon is directly applicable to our graduates, and so I want you all to hear it from that angle. But all of us really have something in this today. Here's the principle I want you to get. Embrace the moment, but don't get stuck in it. We we have what I call life markers that happen all the time. For instance, the birth of a baby into a family is a life marker. Everything changes after that moment. I remember Teresa and I in our married life before children, B.C. we call it. And we were carefree and easy and had extra money. 
And then all of a sudden God blessed us with this little boy. And all, and when that son of mine came into the picture, everything changed. We, I played, when, before my son was born, I played on three different softball teams simultaneously. Played on an industrial league team and on a church league team. And then on the weekends, I played on a traveling tournament team. We loved softball. She's a great wife because she married into that tradition, and so she took up a permanent residence in the bleachers watching me play softball. It's a great arrangement until Brandon came along. Because we used to decide on a whim, hey, let's go out to eat. Okay, we'd leave the house, jump in the pickup truck, and head off to eat. But when Brandon entered the picture, all of a sudden, hey, let's go out to eat. (laughs) I'm tired. So if I finally got talked into going, because I was the one who was tired, not her, um, then it was all of a sudden, it's like a traveling band of gypsies. (laughs) Bags upon bags filled with all kinds of stuff, just in case. Everything changes. Life markers kind of signal those. They're, They're mileposts in our world for us as we live our lives out. So births are one of those. Graduations are another. Everything changes. (laughs) I graduated from high school. It's important that you know that. I did. But when I graduated from high school, and I'd been working uh, out in the, you know, part-time jobs plus everything else at school uh, since I was ninth or sophomore, maybe actually even mowed yards before that. I had a long history of working already, but I remember like yesterday... And I went to graduation. I don't remember graduation so much, but that's a whole other story. The day after graduation, I remember my dad walking into the room saying, Hey, did you graduate yesterday? And I'm thinking to myself, What are you, numbskull? You were there. You know that I graduated. And so I said, Yes, sir, I did. <laughs> and my dad said, Congratulations. Get a job. Hey, we're celebrating. This is party time. Everything changed that day. I told my sons. I don't think I told my daughter this, but I told my sons this. When they graduate from high school, when they turned 18, I said, recognize this is a life marker for you. As far as the world is concerned, and especially the government in the United States of America, at the age of 18, you can do hard time in prison for your mistakes. So live like it. Markers open new worlds for us. Things change on these kind of events. And so we throw weddings into that. Can you imagine how much life changes when you say, I do? I jokingly say to couples in the process of the premarital counseling thing, when we get to the part where I ask you, do you take this woman to be your lawfully wedded wife? The correct answer is, I do. Whatever answer you give me determines the rest of your life. And there's truth in that. Things change. We have these life markers. And so it's important when we get to these life markers that we pause for a moment and we embrace the moment. So for those of you who have graduated from high school or soon will in the coming few days, we want to say to you as a church, as we pause, we want to say, Congratulations. We're proud of you. Now, I'm going to extend that just from the kids to the parents because I know there's not a single graduate from high school 
without parents who cracked the whip many, many times saying, yes, you must do that work. So as families of graduates, we want to say to you, congratulations. As a church, we're proud of you. Embrace the moment. Now, we had an event here Friday night. I want the rest of the church to be aware of this because I'm really proud of our deacons and also of our youth committee uh, people, Rachel McLean and uh, Kristen Hoy uh, and several others throughout the course of the church office staff went to great lengths to do a banquet for our graduates and their families on Friday night. And I asked the deacons to kind of lead out in that because here's my whole contention and they saw enough merit in it for us to do it. Here's our deal. In our society in this day, there are not very many really tangible things that we can do or that we actually do that help celebrate some moments like this. The move from being a child into being an adult is a murky one at best in our society. And one of the closest things we get to a formal acknowledgement of that is a graduation from high school. And so with that in mind, that extends even further into the spiritual world of our lives that actually pervades all the rest of the world of our lives. And I believe it's important, and our leadership in church believe it's important that we pause as a church and say to our graduates and their families, there is a spiritual element to what you have done and we celebrate that with you. And so our deacons put on a dinner for them. It was great, wonderful stuff, good food, good fellowship. And it was a good way for us to pause just long enough to say to our graduates, good job. And we want you to go from this place and from this town, uh, time, all not from this town, you can leave if you want, but from this time, we always want you to be able to look backwards and say, my church loves me. And we saw it. In that event. And we send you out, not just with our congratulations, but with our blessings as a church to say, don't forget what you've learned. So embrace the moment. But let me give you the back half of this. Don't get stuck in the moment. Here's what I mean by that. Uh, When I was in elementary school, it seemed like it was probably second or third grade, something like that. We moved away from Houston to Cottonwood, Texas. Now, Cottonwood is a town of about eight people (laughs) Um, outside of Cross Plains, Texas, which is a town of about 800 people. It's close to Abilene. It's in that area of central Texas. And so we moved, my brother and I, from being city kids to all of a sudden living out in the wide open country. It was great. What a great transition for a little kid to make. And so one of the first things that happened, my parents uh, gave us a twenty-two rifle that we had to share between us. And uh, we had friends who had lots of land and they ran cattle on their land. But you know that area is lots of hills. And that, because of that, lots of, uh, we called them tanks. Some people call them ponds. Whatever you want to call them is a water source. Not a source, but just a gathering of water. And one of the reasons these friends of ours had four or five of those uh, on their property was because they had cows and they just let the cows run. And so they had to have strategically placed uh, water. So one day we were out hunting uh, with the family members 
who owned the property and their kids at least. And so we were way back in the back part of their property. And we came over this hill and we looked down to the tank that was down there below us. And about 30 yards off of the shore of that tank, there was a cow. And the cow was in the water up to its belly, chest, whatever you call it. And I was watching that going, that's pretty cool. Seeing a cow out in the water. I didn't know cows swam. Well, the cows don't swim, as far as I know still. What the problem was, we determined, was the cow had gone out there to get a drink or whatever and gotten stuck in the mud of that tank. I don't do cows. I mean, I eat them, but I don't know that much about running them. But they told us in that situation that if something didn't happen to get that cow out of there, it would stay stuck until it died right there. One of the greatest things I've ever seen was watching that guy, the dad, pull that cow with his tractor out of the mud. That was awesome. But here's what I want you to get from it. You can get stuck just like that. See, churches are full of cows. (laughs) And about 30% of the congregation just went like this. Churches are full of cows who are stuck. And if something doesn't happen to blast them out of the mud of their lives, they're going to stay stuck. That's true in moments like this. It's true spiritually as well. Let me give you the first one, okay? At our high school, Odessa High School, that's the one that didn't have a good football program. Odessa Permian, you've heard of. Odessa High School is the other one. We were the whipping child. Um, One of the things that happened back in those days is our campus was such that the thing to do at lunch was to go out and get in your car and just cruise the campus, okay? And so every lunch hour, there were people everywhere, uh, students who would get in their car and just cruise, you know, trying to look cool, playing the music loud, all that kind of stuff. That was what a lot of people did at lunch at our school. You know who the biggest losers were? in that group of people. It was the people who had already graduated and who kept coming back at lunch and cruising to school. (laughs) And we would look at them and go, loser, you're a loser. (laughs) Nothing worse than talking to a guy who was a football hero or a basketball hero or a true sports hero, a soccer player hero, who somehow used to be wonderful And 20 years later, all he can talk about is how great he was in high school. You can get stuck in this moment. And all of the attention that you get, and by the way, it's all of us, not just them. All of the everything of your life combines and plays into where you begin to believe that all of life is about you and everybody's celebrating who you are and what you've done and aren't I awesome. And you get stuck And you're a cow and you will die there unless something happens, socially and otherwise. But the bigger tragedy is that so many churches are full of people who are stuck in a Christian experience of years ago, sometimes decades ago. One of the reasons that I really struggle with those old testimony times in church where we throw it open and anybody and everybody can talk about what God's doing in their lives. The problem that I got from those, just cringe when that happens because most of the time 
They don't talk about what God is doing in their life. People talk about what God did in their lives 20, 30, 40 years ago. And they're stuck. And they're a spiritual cow stuck in the mud. And the only experience they have with God is what happened years ago. And if their life depended on God being alive today, by the way, that's a trick statement. It is. They couldn't tell you what God's doing in their life today because they're locked and stuck in the past. So embrace the moment. Celebrate. Have fun. Don't go to jail. But don't get stuck. By this time, surely you're thinking, is he ever going to use scripture today? Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 9. Let me show you why I get this. A couple of things about this. First of all, he begins, now remember the preacher, all the context, I don't have time to go build it all. But he begins in verse 9 with a simple acknowledgement of the accomplishments. Besides being wise. Let's just stop there for a second. Now, we've spent several months working our way through the book of Ecclesiastes, and we've seen just how much wisdom the preacher has to offer us in life. Not haphazard at all. He's pulled it all together. He's laid it out for us. And even today, centuries later, it still holds weight for us in the way we live our lives today. Besides being wise, he just takes that and he sets it in front of him and says, okay, now, I don't even want to deal with that now. Let's just accept it for what it is, so let's just do that. So besides being wise, and now he comes and he gives three different things that are attached to that. In addition to being a Weisenheimer, he says this, verse 9, the preacher also taught the people knowledge. I'll come back to that in a moment. Then it says another thing, weighing and studying. Let me just stop there for a second. I want us to make sure we get these words right. He teaches people knowledge, and then he goes on and says another thing. The second of three is weighing and studying. Sounds kind of passive. Sounds kind of like one of those things you sit in your room and you, you know, read through it and say, okay, well, I think this okay, and then move on to something else. This is actually, the way it's written in Hebrew is an incredibly intensive kind of a statement. It is one of those things where he dives into this task, if you will, this activity. Weighing and studying. See, one of the great fallacies of crossroads in our lives is that we can forget and put everything that's been behind us, put it behind us. That'll kill you if you're not careful. Let me give you a couple of examples real quick. Um, (laughs) When uh, the Lord called us to go to school in Waco, we knew that he had called us to do that, but somehow we had to convince the school that God had called me to go to school there. And uh, so I went through all the stuff, and I had to write papers, and I had to submit stuff, and they wanted money, and all that kind of stuff. And so I went through the whole process, and we tried to fast-track it because of uh, the timing. We just knew God said it's time to do this, so I started into the process. Did all of that. They took those papers I had to write. They said, okay, looked at my transcript, all that kind of stuff. And so they give us a call, and they say, okay, we are ready for you to take the last step before we determine whether or not you can come to school here. And that is, we want you to go through an interview with several, uh, with a panel that it consisted of several professors. And we want you to bring your wife. Now, see, that's a plus for me, okay? If I can take her with me, then maybe they give 
you know, give me credit for her being smart and that kind of thing. So we go and we drive up there and we go sit down in this room and they try to make it as nice as they can and not be intimidating as they can. They're not successful at that at all. It's an intimidating situation. So we sit in there and they ask questions of both of us and we did a pretty good job with those questions. I thought, I thought everything was going really well until they asked this question. Uh, Mark, what are you reading? Now, you just got to understand this. I graduated from Southwestern Seminary in 1991. This interview I'm talking about was in 2005. That's 14 years. When I graduated from Southwestern, I thought to myself, I'll never read again. I've read all the books I ever want to have to read. And so now these professors, my whole entry into the program that God called me into hangs in the balance as they want an answer from me, what have you been reading? Now, I know that I'm not the sharpest guy around, okay? I know that. But even then, I was smart enough not to volunteer the first thing that came to my head. Because the only reading that I had been doing was Tom Clancy novels. Y'all know who Tom Clancy is? You know, war, espionage, that kind of stuff. I don't really think that those guys wanted to know that kind of reading. They were looking for scholarly kind of stuff. Fortunately, several church members had thrown some books at me in the previous four or five months. And so I had kind of skimmed those and kind of read through those. And so I kind of talked about those. The problem was I couldn't remember who wrote them and I couldn't remember what the titles were. Very impressive interview at this point. When it was over with, they said this. We're happy to invite you to be part of this program and to become a student here. We are a little concerned about your lack of reading, but we're going to fix that. And they did. In the next five weeks, I had to read nine books and write papers on them. Here's what I want you to get from that. If you're not careful, you'll make a decision in your life to stop being a student that's a kiss of death for you. Always be about the process of learning. I want to talk more about that in just a second, but I don't want you to miss that part of it. Are you a reader? Do you read? Some people say, I hate to read. You know what? When I went to college in the first place, I hated to read. I didn't even read the stuff I was supposed to in in high school. I don't know how I got out. I think it was one of those, just move him along, just move him along. So when I went to college, I knew that I was going to have to read. And, And I knew God had called me to college. And I sat in the front yard of our house in Plainview, Texas, watching one of those big panhandle thunderstorms brewing out there. And I prayed this prayer, God, I hate to read, and I think they're going to make me read. And so please give me a love for reading so I can get through this. And he answered that prayer. Don't ever stop being a student. The preacher, besides being wise, dove into the process of learning. That'll help you not get old if you'll take that advice. And those of us who are already old, it'll help rejuvenate, uh, rejuvenate your experience of life these days. Be a student. 
Let's look at what else he says here. Tied to what I just said is don't ever be satisfied with where you are. There are new horizons to explore. And much of that comes as you study the life that's been given to you. Look at the third element of what he says here. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying, and now here's the other, and arranging many proverbs with great care. Arranging literally translated means he made them straight. (laughs) See, I told you I don't do math. You remember that? Hello? Um, I don't do math as a, as a rule. Uh, and here's an experience that I had which illustrates this need to continue to be a student and to make things that are swimming out there straight in your mind. I used to run a lot. I know it's hard to believe. I used to run a lot, okay? Uh, and there came a time in my life where we lived in a place that had, it was a, you know, like two square miles basically where I could run But the problem with that is I didn't always have time to run that whole square. Uh, And right behind our house was a railroad track that perfectly dissected at a a diagonal that big two-square-mile area. And so uh, I decided I could run on shorter days where I didn't have much time. I could run that railroad track and then just get off and come into our backyard and it would work great. And so I started doing that and I wanted to know how far I was running, but I couldn't for the life of me figure out how to get an odometer onto the railroad track. I thought about driving my car up there. I knew some people had done that in the past. Didn't seem like a good idea to go to jail for that. So uh, I thought about riding a bicycle with an odometer on it. And then it hit me. I had a kid in my youth group who had just graduated, who was valedictorian of his class at Edinburgh High School. He had the all-time highest GPA when he graduated. So I went to him and I said, excuse me, Mr. Brainiac, uh, I have a question. I have a problem. He said, what's that? I said, I need to know what the distance is when I run that diagonal there, but I can't figure it out. He said, oh, that's simple. So I shot him. Um, He said, it's simple. I said, no, it's not simple. He said, yeah, you just need to use the Pythagorean theorem or something. I don't even know what that one is. That's the only one I remember the name of it. Okay. He said, you need to use such and such a theorem and figure it out. It would be just like that. I said, no, you don't understand. I can't do that. Sure you can. Just use this thing and here's your, I I can't do that. I said, I came to you because I want you to do that for me. You hear that? You become dependent on people that you don't have to be dependent on if you stop being a student. You need to learn. You need to always be in the process. I gave him the information. He told me exactly how far I was running. And I walked away from that thinking I should have paid attention in math class. But you see, that's a crossroads. When you see areas of your life that are below the standard that they need to be at for your life, then be a student and learn and grow. By the way, nowhere does that apply better than in your spiritual life. Every day, you're at a crossroads. How do I grow with God today? He made them straight, it says. So the point I want you to get from that is don't be content with this accomplishment. Wherever you are in your life, don't be content with that. I I understand where scripture comes in for that. We need to be content where we are, but there's also that part of us that says, keep pushing. There's always more with God than what you're experiencing today. Always. You may be the most spiritually progressed person in the building today, but you're still far below the level 
that you could be. Every day is new with him. His mercies endure forever. And he wants to take you to a better place. So he shows us, the preacher does here, how to avoid getting stuck. I'm going to close with this. Out of time, got a half a sermon to go. Let me close with this. Here's a prayer that I would encourage all of us to build into our daily experiences with God. Ready? Lord, please help me to grasp your intent for me. And then don't let me settle for anything less. That's a windsucker kind of prayer. You know what I mean by windsucker? That's the kind when you really pray it and you mean it, you go, "Mm, man, I don't know about that. See, the front part of it we like. God, what is your plan for me? Help me to grasp what your intent for my life is. The second half of that pushes you to life change. Don't let me settle for anything less. See, I happen to operate under the conviction that as Christian people, we are always, and every one of us falls into this, always in the battle that says, God, why don't you do this for me? God, why don't you endorse this plan? God, why don't you deliver this for me? But to truly understand who he is and his claims on our lives, the only real prayer for us is the one that says, less of me and more of you. Help me to grasp your intent for me and then don't let me settle for anything less than that. I put the hashtag life change ahead there because I've put that sometimes on some of the stuff I send out. You need to get that. If I put that somewhere, I'm saying to you, heads up, this is tough stuff. This prayer, I'll I'll say it this way. If I was on television, like a lot of the real preachers are, this is where I would say, God will give you the desires of your heart and you can drive in a Lexus and you can do all those kinds of things um, if you'll pray this prayer. So I'm going to be honest with you. That's why I don't get on TV like those guys. The reality is if you pray this prayer, especially that second part of it, you better strap up because you're fixing to get hit hard. Christian life is not for wimps. It takes courage to live this life. But we've been reminded in what we sang today, we've been reminded in Scripture now, that we so order life that we see God as the architect of life. Those things that cost us a little bit in life always take us to a better place. It may or may not be a Lexus for you, but it'll be a better place for you. So tomorrow morning, when you wake up, before you even put your feet on the floor, Remember that scene from that movie and realize you're at a crossroads too. What will you do with the day that he gives you tomorrow? By the way, the last part of verse 9, the one that I wanted to come back to, it's actually the second part after besides all this. Don't forget that you have to invest your life in people. The preacher, it says, taught people knowledge. You don't get to do this alone. 
And the way you choose today definitively impacts the life of other people. I want you to hear this. God has strategically placed you in a circle of people who desperately need to know him. If you don't have those people in your circles, you got the wrong circles. Whatever your reason is, God has strategically placed us in circles with people who desperately need to know him. Jesus' final marching orders to his disciples before he ascended was, as you go through life, make disciples. To crossroads every day. For you graduates, especially today, to crossroads. What do you do from this point forward? Where's God in that? And realize that the choices that you make today definitively impact somebody who needs him. So where do we go from here? To work. Let's pray. So Father, we ask you to teach us and grow us. Pray that you take this passage and just explode it in our hearts and our heads with the truth that drives us to be effective in our own Christian living for the glory of God and the lives of other people. We can't get away from that. Every time we open Scripture, we're reminded of the call to holiness on our part and to impacting this world for your glory. Help us to be good at it. Help us to be committed to it. Help us to be relentless in the truth. In Jesus' name.